I'm turning this morning to Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be looking today at verses 44 through 46, and our subject for this hour is treasure hid in a field, treasure hid in a field. Let me draw your attention to verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. We have four short parables that finish chapter 13. The first of these four is regarding a treasure hid in the field. The second one has to do with a pearl of great price. Now you'll recall last week, Uh, The Lord Jesus had compared the kingdom of heaven to small things. Things that began very small. The kingdom of heaven would start on a very small scale. And yet, it would grow into something very grand and something of great value. It is in this parable, this treasure parable, and in this pearl of great price, we begin to... The Lord begins to teach us about the very value of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, We understand that things in our world, sadly in many cases, they have a value affixed to them. They have a value affixed that is determined often by man's perspective or man's perception of what it should be valued at. Sadly, we understand in our nation and over the many, many years, we see that the value of life has become lessened. It's become man just simply does not value man's life anymore, whether it's in the womb or whether it is in adulthood or sadly, even in school age, the value of life has been lessened. But the real emphasis that the Lord has on this particular parable, especially these first two parables, is the reality of the value of the kingdom of heaven. How valuable is the kingdom of heaven? He teaches us that he shows about the value of this kingdom is of great immeasurable value. And it is a great advantage to those who understand the value of the kingdom of heaven itself. The kingdom of heaven must be come to in the right manner. Uh, We cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven by our own way, by our own terms. We have to come to the kingdom of heaven by the terms laid out of the God himself. But it's interesting that the kingdom of heaven now is being likened to a treasure hid in a field. Now remember, in those previous verses, as we looked at those two parables, they were about growth, uh, about the kingdom of heaven. Remember, like the mustard seed starting out so small, like the leaven, uh, which just a very small amount of leaven put into it would make it grow exceedingly grand. And he was telling us that although these things are small, it is working, and over time, the kingdom of heaven will grow beyond our expectations. I've often said, and I'm not the author of this thought, but that those who will enter into the kingdom of heaven, those who have entered into the kingdom of heaven since the beginning of time, it is innumerable numbers of people who are in the kingdom of heaven. We often think in such negative terms that there's only going to be a handful of people there. I believe the opposite is true, that there are going to be billions maybe of people who've lived throughout the ages who have entered into the kingdom of heaven. 
But each one of those that entered the kingdom of heaven entered in only on the terms that God has set out. There is no one in the kingdom of heaven today who's there on their own terms. There's no one who is there who has set their terms as to what would gain their admittance. But rather, Jesus says that it's like a treasure. It's worth giving up everything to acquire it. Now, he's not teaching about giving up our wealth to attain it. The rich young ruler we read in Luke 18 asked our Lord the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, the rich young ruler responded uh, negatively when the Lord said, sell all that you have. He was not telling him that the way you get into heaven is only by selling everything. He was proving to him just how attached he was to his earthly treasures. He considered his earthly treasures much more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we place a value and a treasure on everything. Everything has a value to it. Jesus shows us that this treasure is certainly worth selling all that you have to acquire it. Everything a man has, all of his property, all of his wealth in his whole life, no matter how much he has, is worth in value to the kingdom of heaven. Now, in our day and age, and in ages past, it has always been about the acquisition of more. More treasures, more things. The theological word is gain more stuff. That's what man's after. Whatever I acquire, acquire more. Whatever I value the most, that's what I acquire more of. Everyone's values are different. But the reality here that Jesus is teaching and the reality is that the kingdom of heaven, again, notice his words, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure, which tells us a lot about where to place the emphasis on what is being described as the treasure. It's the kingdom of heaven that is the treasure. Now, in the ancient world, and again, I think we all know this, but just for uh, reference sake, uh, when you had something of value, you did not take it to a bank. You did not take it to a safety deposit box at a bank. You did not put it somewhere for safekeeping. The normal procedure for hiding something of great treasure or great value was to bury it in a secret place. You would take it, you would hide it, you would not tell anyone what you have, where you've placed it. Now, there was also a law of the land in the Jewish economy that provided that if somebody happened to stumble upon someone else's buried valuables, he was entitled to that property unless that man was employed by the owner of the property. So in that situation, the only way the finder of those treasures could get his hands on the valuables was to buy the actual field. That's the scenario in which Jesus is referencing here. A man finds a treasure hidden in a field and it says he sold everything he had to purchase the field and to possess that treasure. Now here's one of the issues we have with this parable. Uh, this parable, there are a lot of different perspectives on who the characters are, what's being represented. And I could bring you a number of uh, well-respected, well uh, godly, uh, Scripture-focused commentators on this, and I will show you there's, there's a line between who each one of them says these particular things are as far as how we look at this parable. 
Now, as far as I'm aware, we do not have a, a full explanation of this parable. What Jesus actually says, here's what it means. So this is one of those parables we can't point to Scripture and say, well, it says in Luke, here's what, that's, here's what that parable means. So we can't be absolutely dogmatic about this. But here's where the line is drawn for most of the commentators that I believe that we certainly could trust. There are many who take Christ Himself to be in the field. It is Christ who is the treasure. That the field itself is the Holy Scriptures. And it is hidden in the field because Christ as the true treasure is hidden from the wise and the prudent, but it's revealed unto the humble, revealed unto the babes, if you will. There are others who say that the treasure is actually the gospel, which when we think about the gospel, we think about the great truths of the gospel. We think how it could be compared to gold and silver and precious stones it's the most valuable of all possessions is to know and understand the gospel. All of the riches of God are wrapped up in the gospel. Of course, Christ is the gospel. It is a treasure that is unspeakable and it is full of glory and it certainly is a lasting treasure. So if we look at it from the perspective of taking both of those, whether or not the treasure in the field is actually Christ Himself or is it the treasure of the gospel, these two thoughts really go hand in hand together. And you'll notice again that as the kingdom of heaven is being likened unto this treasure, it is compared to, it is the, the treasure. We know that within Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians says, are found in Him. All the riches of grace and glory are found in Christ. But this says that the treasure is the kingdom of heaven. Again, how does one enter into the kingdom of heaven? He only enters into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus Christ. He enters into the kingdom of heaven by Christ alone. How does a man understand that Christ is the only way? It's through the gospel. Jesus Christ with no gospel message, there isn't an entering into the kingdom of heaven. If I just simply said all you have to do is just look at Jesus, but there's no gospel. You see, Christ is the very heart of the gospel. The gospel message without Christ is no gospel at all. A gospel that's proclaimed to be by man's works is not the gospel. So the kingdom of heaven is only entered into by the gospel. Certainly, the gospel is a treasure. It's a treasure that when we compare it to everything else, there is nothing that can be com we can compare it to. Again, he says the kingdom of heaven is like unto this treasure. But it's, it's peculiar as to why he mentions it's hid in a field. Now, we do understand some things about the gospel. Again, we do believe that there, the gospel, the very first mention of the gospel shows up all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, with the promise that Satan's head would be crushed, though Christ's heel would be bruised. The gospel shows up all the way in Genesis. Although it doesn't mention Christ, it doesn't mention the word gospel, we know that's the first picture of a sacrifice, the first picture of what's going to be redemption. But why is it referred to as being hid in the field? Well, in some measure, the gospel in the Old Testament really was, in a sense, was hidden. 
Uh, for a long time, the Bible teaches that even from the Gentiles, they did not see it. They didn't understand the gospel. They didn't even, it was as if it did not exist. And then, of course, Paul in Corinthians writes about those that are blinded by God of this world. And folks, even before the Lord opened our eyes, uh, we were blinded to the gospel itself. We talked at length about that this morning during our study in Romans 11. It is only because God has allowed our eyes to see these great truths. This treasure that's hidden, if it is in fact the gospel, it is in fact the message and the news of what Jesus Christ has done. Now again, when we begin this dividing line between the commentators, almost every one of them agreed with this, that the field is a picture of the Scriptures itself. That the Gospel and Christ, the field, is representative of the Scriptures. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, search the Scriptures. That's where you'll see eternal life. It's in the Scriptures. How do I know about the Gospel? How do I know about Christ? It's contained in the Scripture. Again, in our study in Romans 11 this morning, we talked about how God gives the spirit of slumber to those and that the Gospel that should be a benefit to them, the Scriptures that should be a benefit, becomes a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. They don't see it. But yet, the field, meaning the Scriptures here, again, if, it, if we take the treasure to be the Gospel, we take the treasure to be Christ, we do see... That in those, we see a treasure. We see the access. We see the way into the kingdom of heaven. We often hear uh, the, the, the description of digging into the Scriptures. To look into the Word. But then notice that he mentions the which when a man hath found it. Now a man may find this with or without the use of means. And I remember the illustration here, the man that was in the field, he finds the, he finds the treasure. Uh, maybe he was digging for it. Maybe he wasn't looking for it, but he stumbles upon it. And that is much like it is even with the Gospel when it comes. There have been people who have simply taken the Word of God and they've taken the Word of God for themselves and they've been reading, they've been searching the Scripture and almost in a moment the Spirit of God is upon them and they're converted and they're saved. They're brought to repentance. They see their sin. They were digging in the Scriptures. And then there's others. The Gospel comes. They weren't looking for it. They were not even that day saying, I, I, I want to get in the Word, but the Lord providentially puts things into their mind and into their heart through the Scriptures, and suddenly now they see the treasure of the Gospel. They see the treasure of Christ. You see, we've got to be careful about this idea that everybody got saved the exact same way. And that everybody had this same experience that we walked an aisle, we signed a card, we did all this. Listen, there are people that God's been dealing with for years, opening their eyes to the truth. And then one day, it's as if I see it. I see the treasure of Christ that's found in the Gospel. You see, when you find it, even when you weren't desiring for it, whether you were searching or you did not desire it, to truly find the Gospel, to truly find Christ, is of course the greatest treasure you're ever going to be in possession of. Folks, you're not going to find a greater treasure than Christ. 
You're not going to find a greater possession that this world's going to offer you than Christ. And you're not going to find anything more glorious than the kingdom of heaven. No matter how glorious this world appears to be in its, in its lights and its, its glimmer and its shine, it's nothing to be compared to the gospel and the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is an interesting phrase that he uses when he hides it. Now, this is not in a negative sense. This is not in a sense that, like the story about the man who took his talent and he hid it in a napkin. But it's a good sense here that the design here is it suggests to us care. Now, again, we can look at this from two perspectives. We can look at his perspective that Jesus Christ took great cares to acquire and to, to, to purchase his elect, to purchase those that the Father had given. Great care has been given to the gospel. Great care has been given to the scriptures. But do you know there's also the application here that once a person has the gospel, once a person has Christ, there ought to be a diligent concern to care for the treasure in which you have. You know, this is not a one and done situation. If you truly treasure Christ, you are not just simply going to say, I did that already. I already repented. I already said the prayer. No, you're going to treasure that. And you're going to say, I'm going to diligently do all I can do to hold on to this treasure because there's no greater treasure in the world than to know Christ as my Savior. There's no greater treasure. And yet, it's a good sense of hiding. Why did he hide it? We talk about hiding God's Word in our heart that we might not sin against Him. The idea here is, is to not lose it. Now again, we know we cannot lose our salvation, but that's the concern and the care we take care of it with. Crude illustration, but if you were given the world's largest diamond that's ever been found, I can almost assure you, you will take very diligent care to make sure you don't lose that diamond. The sad thing is most people are more concerned about the diamond than they are about Christ. They're more concerned about the treasures of this earth than the treasures of Christ. They would be more diligent and bring more joy to them if they said they got a call and say, listen, you've won this and you've acquired this and you've got this diamond. But yet every day you have the treasure of Christ. When we talk about is Christ your satisfaction and sufficiency, that's what we're really asking. If you had nothing else, would Christ be enough? Sadly, probably for most of us, we say that but if we really faced it, would Christ actually be our greatest treasure? This treasure is being taken care of. There are very few people who will ever come to the understanding of what the riches of the kingdom of heaven really are. If we knew what, what we were in possession of today, we would be willing to sell all to acquire it if that's what it required. That rich young ruler was also asked, by Jesus, why do you call me good? And the reason was because there is none good but God. He was being confronted with a spiritual dilemma. And of course, that scripture reading goes on to say how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean a rich man cannot, but there is the warning that the more riches we have, the more we'll trust in those riches. The more you acquire, again, money's not evil. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of it. And there are many people who have simply turned away from the things of God because this world and the pleasures of this world have drawn them to make that their greatest treasure. They would rather have everything here instead of the things of Christ. 
And then I love what that scripture reading also said. He, he said, who then can be saved? He didn't answer it in the, in the way we think he would answer. He just simply said, for with God, all things are possible. And that, that, is, that sums up really the beauty of what this treasure is. And notice he talks about for the joy thereof. Again, the gospel brings great joy. Christ brings great joy. When you rightly understand the gospel and you understand the good news, there is no greater joy to the depraved sinner than to know that Jesus Christ has paid it all, all to him I owe. There is absolutely nothing better than knowing Christ. But then the Lord talks about going and selling all that he hath and buys that field. Now it does seem by this parable, according to those Jewish laws we were talking about, that it was not the finder of the treasure in the field, but it was the owner of the field. That's who had the proper ownership of it, what could be done with it. You may think about this from this perspective. If you had a buyer and a seller of a field and the buyer lists his field for sale, and after the purchase, the seller discovers a large treasure on that field that the buyer, the, the current owner, the former owner, did not know about. The seller now claims that that's his because he rightfully purchased the field. But the former seller, the former owner, says, wait a minute, if I had known that there was treasure on that field or hidden in that field, I would have never sold it. Isn't that the case? It's kind of like buyer's and seller's remorse. If I knew there was a world's largest diamond on that, I never would have sold that. So he claims ownership that it's still, I wouldn't have done this. I never would have sold you the field if I knew there was treasure. But now the buyer insists and says, no, this is my property now. And anything that's on that property belongs to me. When we think about who obtained the right, <clears throat> who obtained the right to the field, who has the right to all that's in the field, we come to the conclusion that it has to be that Christ has the right to the field. But there's also the application here that when we understand what the field contains, when we understand that the scriptures contain the gospel, they contain the reality of who Jesus Christ is, we certainly would be willing to part with everything we have to acquire that field. What did Jesus do to acquire that field? He gave the, he gave the greatest sacrifice he could give. He gave up his life suffered and died and bled to gain the church, to gain what the Father had given to Him. The church, in a sense, is a treasure. We do need to guard against the reality of automatically saying, just like we'll look at in just a moment, that we were the treasure worth dying for. That's not the meaning of this parable. Sometimes we get this wrong and we say, God... You, we were such a treasure to God that He sold everything He could to get you because you were such a treasure or you were such a pearl of great price. That's not what this is about. He said the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. That's a tremendous difference because if I think I'm the treasure, then I'm going to say, well, it was worth Christ dying for me because I'm worth it. Remember, we place a value on everything. Sadly, we think still to this day too highly of ourselves. You say, that's not nice, preacher. That's just truth. 
Every one of us love ourselves way too much. We are the greatest enemy. You say, no, it's a person I work with. No, it's my family. No, you're the, great, you're the worst enemy because you're the greatest lover of yourself. Everything is about you. Everything is about me. See, we place a very high value on our quote-unquote net worth. What am I worth to Jesus? He did not. He did not save you because uh, you were a treasure. As a matter of fact, you're the exact opposite of a treasure. If we were to look at ourselves and judge ourselves in the scope of what God sees and what God knows us to be, He would see nothing but filthy rags that are not even worth giving a penny for. Not a single widow's mite are you worth. Which makes the Gospel all the more beautiful and all the more glorious. That Christ would actually die for a filthy rag. See, we can, we can think about it in our mind. Well, if, if died to acquire this great treasure, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for those who didn't love Him. So many years. So many years. Every time I saw this passage, I said, what a treasure that Christ would die for me. I'm such a treasure. He died for me. That's the opposite of what that Scripture means. And the reason that the Pearl of Great Price is kind of connected to it, it's not the same, but the idea here is about what is the treasure. Again, the treasure is not you and I. The parable leaves us to understand that the kingdom of heaven is this great treasure. Now, I connected these two thoughts today because I quite frankly could not separate them. I originally intended to say, okay, next week talk about Pearl of Great Price. But this is actually a summation of really what he's been saying. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is not changing. He's not turning the page. This is not another new story. This actually further expands what he's already said. You notice, notice he uses the word again. He uses it again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now the subject of this parable is a merchant who was in the business of buying and selling pearls. Again, in that, in that economy, just like there was no banks, there also was not lab-created pearls. This, there was not, you didn't have to go and say, look, I, I want to save money, I want to buy the, the lab-created pearl instead of the real thing. Okay? Seems, kind of seems like a crude illustration, but that's the reality. So a pearl, a real pearl, was of great price. Again, there's no artificial pearls such as are so commonplace today. The pearl was extremely rare and very valuable. Now, interestingly enough, in Revelation 21.21, we are told that the gates of the New Jerusalem will each be made of a single pearl, which indicates something about the value. It's of inestimable value that it makes up one of those gates. The merchant in Jesus' parable says he searched near and far until he found one pearl. 
that was so magnificent that it surpassed every other pearl. It was unlike anything else. Again, what was the merchant man willing to do? He was willing to invest everything he had to possess that one pearl. Again, you are not the pearl. The kingdom of heaven is. Now, it feels better to our self-worth to make ourselves the treasure and make ourselves the pearl, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's what our self-promoting society wants. Because we're about self-promotion. I'd rather be called a pearl. I'd rather be called a treasure than a filthy rag. But the reality is, is it wasn't because you were the one exquisite pearl. The kingdom of heaven is. And Christ saw that it's worth dying, it's worth shedding His blood in that covenant made with the Father before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be the one who would acquire the rights to those that the Father had given. You see, this merchant man, just like the man in the field that found the treasure, was willing to part with everything he had. Again, Jesus' example was what the man did for the pearl is exactly how you and I should think about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Christ has, in fact, paid the price. Christ alone has paid the debt. Christ is the owner. Christ is worthy of our worship. Jesus Christ is the true treasure. He is that pearl of great price. He is the kingdom of heaven that gives us access to that so that one day, and folks, I believe this with everything I am, if you are in Christ today, one day we are going to be in the glories of heaven together. Now, I don't know if you think about this. We take our gatherings such for granted. We just assume we are always going to be here. We can always come to church. We're always going to be together. But one day, we're actually going to awaken one day, and we're actually going to be in the glories of heaven. Now, I'm not going to speculate on everything that's going to happen because the Bible just doesn't tell us enough about it. But if he's telling us how valuable the kingdom of heaven is, it has to even be an experience that we can't even begin to even fathom what that's going to be when we do see Jesus. Because remember, we're still living in sin-filled, sin-ravaged bodies that are still capable, and hear me, are capable of doing anything. The epitome of pride is to say, I would never do that. As long as sin is in your body, you are capable of the unthinkable. You are capable of committing heinous sins. You're you're capable of committing a crime against society. Sin is worse than what we make it out to be. If we truly took sin at its face value for what God says it is, we would not get anywhere near it. And we would be doing everything we could to get away from it. Not seeing how close we can get to it. The church is trying to see how close can we get to sin and not cross over the line. Why? Because we're in love with this world. What John wrote about in 1 John, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. 
You ever read that and say, boy, I'm glad that's not me? You ought to read it again and say, this is me. This is me. Yes, my eyes struggle with the lust of the things of this world and I think I've got to have this and if I don't get it, I'm not going to make it. We are in love with this world. What we choose to do with our lives proves it. It's offensive. It's offensive to me. <laughs> because I know for myself there are times before I even knew what happened, I look up and I said, you know what? I have just succumbed to looking at something in this world as a greater treasure than the treasure I have in Christ. When I choose to sin, I'm counting my sin of more value than the treasure of Christ. People say, how do I keep myself from getting so close to sin? Think on the treasure that Christ is and what He did for you. It is Christ and the Gospel that we are to have an eye to. We don't, we don't have to go to heaven to understand, oh, yes, Christ is the true treasure. Every believer knows He is that treasure. The Word is near us. Where is the Word? It's in the Scriptures. Don't trust what you feel. Trust what the Word says. Anytime somebody says, I might be digressing a moment here, but anytime someone says, God said to me, I want to ask the question, where did He say that and how did He say it? Well, I just had this feeling. He speaks to us in His Word. See, feelings and our emotions will lead us astray. But when you search the Scriptures and you get into the Word and you see the treasure is on every page... You know, the treasure of Christ is in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Every believer sees the treasure that Christ is from the very first words of the Scripture. Christ gave all to buy that field, to buy redemption, paid the ransom. If we are willing to be in Christ, if we are willing to be part of the kingdom of God, we have to come to Christ on His terms. Not on our merits, not on our terms. But as the Apostle Paul says, we count everything but loss that we may win Christ. A longtime pastor and one of the favorite theologian of mine. He's more recent than a lot of what I read. But it's James Montgomery Boyce. And I want to just finish with this thought. He said, some are not particularly anxious to find Christ. They are going on their way when suddenly an unexpected thing confronted them. The Gospel. They had never really seen it before. They were not seeking it. But there it was. And at once, with that insight granted by God's eternal work of regeneration, they saw that this was a prize of far greater value than anything that had ever come into their lives previously. They saw themselves as sinners in need of a Savior. They saw Jesus as that Savior. They recognized that if they had Him, they had all else besides. So they turned to Him and believed. 
on the spot. Do you value Christ as that treasure? If you don't know Him today, you've never repented. Come to Christ. Believe on Him. Don't trust in your works. Don't trust in your earthly possessions. Don't trust in your money. Do you realize how many people are trusting in their money? And I'm not talking about professing unbelievers. I'm talking about believers in churches that if you get down to the heart of it, they're trusting in their money. That's how prevalent it is to view what we own more than the treasure that's found in Christ. Come to Christ today. Turn to Him. Repent of your sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's finish 